Um, we have been, over the last few weeks, uh, in the book of Jonah. Uh, Jonah, as we started sharing, uh, is a story that a lot of people have a tough time believing. They really wonder, you know, could this just be a fable in the scripture uh, that we read, we call the Bible? Um, one of the most immediate uh, discussion points, um, counterpoints to that, that we bring up traditionally is that Jesus himself, two different times, quotes the events and the specifics of Jonah. And many of us, as a simple statement, say, if it's good enough for Jesus, then it's good enough for me. Uh, the way that Jesus said it, um, he drew out the specifics of this story, even Jonah being in the digestive system of some kind of sea creature. And, if, and believing and knowing that Jesus lived a perfect life, then he can't lie, not even once. So that we actually find truth uh, of the story in that, which is comforting to us as, as we read something like this. And so we've seen a lot of different emotions in this story of Jonah. So on, on the subject of maybe a little bit of emotion, I, I'd like to ask you a question. Now, your response I, I'm asking for, I don't want your response to be audible. Um, I would like you, if you don't mind, to use your hands and your fingers to express your answer to this question. So in other words, and I know this is a leap for some of you, depending on where you went to high school, um, if your answer is three, then you would do this. Or you could go fancy. Go the first three, right? I mean, you can start with a pinky. You can go any direction you want to go, okay? But this is my question by show of, of hands and fingers. And, and if your answer is zero, um, just hold up a fist, and that's going to become clear why you're holding up a fist. If your answer is more than 10, um, you, you, you actually can just tune this whole sermon out, okay? How many days has it been, number of days, since you in some way have lost your temper? Again, if it happened, if it's like already today, just hold up a fist because you're ready to fight somebody, right? So no, don't be lying. I know, I know we come to church to lie and to cover up our sins, but, but, but in general, by show of hands, like seriously, how many days has it been since you lost your temper? Show of, of fingers. I got some ones, some twos. I got some threes. I got a really proud two right here. Yeah, okay, overall, two seems to be the safe answer. There are some people that look like you came to church together, and you're both holding up a fist, and we're praying for you because it probably got rocky on the ride to church this morning. Um, that's why my wife and I, we come to church separately. That's, that's the greatest gift that we give to our Sunday. Um, yesterday, as I was coming back, I was part of an ordination council um, near Pinehurst, a little town called Seven Lakes, yesterday. And I was coming back, I had someone send me a text message, and because what was going on in their life, Brian, I told you you were going to knock that cup over at some point today, um, because of what's going on in their life, um, I, I was at a stoplight, and I saw their name pop up, so I thought, okay, let me just go ahead and take a second and read this to see what's going on. And, and as I'm reading that text message, and I'm sitting in a light, there, there came uh, really rapid honks from behind me, which I became aware that the light in front of me had turned green. I don't know at what point. All I know is there was my car and a Jeep behind me that was extremely close so close that they had to have put it in reverse to be able to get around me, but was really close behind me and really, I can only assume, frustrated that I wasn't driving forward. <clears throat> now, I can understand this because I get mad at people in that same situation. What was unique about this, though, is that this lady was really trying to communicate some serious details about her frustration 
The problem was, I didn't really, I wasn't thinking, I wasn't clued into the environment I was in. So I was so caught off guard that when I saw her in my rearview mirror, I was trying my best, I thought, to help the situation by attempting to read her lips, which I am really horrible at. So it just caused me to do this, which I think she kind of got a little bit of a glimpse of. And I don't think she really interpreted that as me trying to participate in the communication. I think she really understood that to be something very disrespectful. Because there was a few words that I did clearly catch. And I don't believe, based on life experience, that my mom can do what she said. With that being said, I knew that she was frustrated. I didn't want to add to that frustration. So I, as I drove off, I tried to very much just look straight forward. But when she quickly pulled beside me, I just had to look because, to be honest with you, I didn't know what was going to happen next. And I wanted to be able to capture it on my phone and post it on social media. Because I don't post that much, but I do try to post really good and interesting things. As she pulled past me, there was an extraordinary amount of pirate memorabilia on her car. I don't mean ECU pirates. I mean, R, I really believe I'm a pirate. So I sped up. Checking for a hook or an eye patch. I don't know, but my, the interpretation of my speed up, I really believe, based on a, a, a little bit of basic lip reading skills, was not received very well. I say all that to tell you this. We lose our temper. Agreed? We, we, we know what that experience is like. Um, based on your personality, losing your temper may be a one instance thing, kind of circled up and, and isolated. Or um, enough of those, or maybe even those, let us know as a symptom that there's much more frustration going on inside of us than we're really even aware of. I hope that you don't experience some of the same emotions that I experience in life. But if you do, by chance if you do, you, you may have been in a similar season or stretch or month of life that I've been in before on many different occasions. Have you ever been frustrated enough to where um, you don't know that you just, you don't want to just yell and, and you don't even really know if it's going to be at someone, but just yelling seems like it would help? Or um, you just realize that as a series of incidences, you're snapping at people and, and you just sense that there's this underlying just, oh, just frustration inside of your soul. Those kind of seasons in life um, don't put us outside or beyond the pursuit of God's grace. It just simply lets us know that we're at a crossroads and we're at a time and a place that a little deeper dig and a little bit more effort and a little bit more work needs to go into it because we don't just tend to kind of snap out of that season of life. Um, Jonah, as we look at Jonah, we see this continued just frustration and we'll see it kind of come for the details that we know because... Just fair warning, as we end Jonah today, at the end of chapter 4, we do not end with a nice, clean, summary statement. We don't end with Jonah just hugging it out with the Ninevites. We don't end with Jonah 
dropping back and doing a really sweet prayer to God about making things right between him and God, we end with a set of questions that really bring us to the place in life to really look at a few points that we're going to conclude with. If you haven't been here through this whole series of Jonah, I would invite you to go back and listen to some of these messages. But for just a short recap, Jonah, a prophet, someone chosen by God, we see this role played out in the Old Testament. A prophet was given a specific message for a specific people at a specific time. Being a prophet was not an easy job. This was not the person that goes, you know what, God's put something on my heart and I feel like he's calling me to ministry. I want to go serve some people in another country. I want to preach at a local church and, and be loved by a congregation. I want to work with youth or lead worship. Th this is not a peaceful call to worship. A prophet, you read about the prophet, just take some time and read their lives, their real stories out of the, especially Old Testament sometimes. This is brutal. I mean, there are situations that these prophets go into that you or I would, would shake at. Jonah, a prophet, ready though, expecting this kind of message. The message shows up, but it's a little bit different. Number one, he, God's sending him to a group of people that were not the insiders. They were not God's people. These were the outsiders of the world compared to the Israelites. But God was sending him to another group of people with ironically the same message that he sent prophets with to the people that everybody assumed that God loved and maybe even exclusively loved. And we don't know that that's not part of Jonah's resistance. Maybe he just doesn't like this message of God, there's this other group of people whose behavior is offensive to me that you love as much as you love me. We also don't know that Jonah wasn't scared because in being sent for the first time to a foreign group of people, we don't know that Jonah didn't fear being totally rejected by his own people, the nation of Israel. Because when, when word got out that Jonah was going to another nation, there was a lot of people that were going to go, mm, that doesn't match up. It would be the equivalency of seeing a ministry started at a church that really reached into a group of people in real ways. People that just weren't necessarily welcomed into the body and the fellowship, but, but, but resources intentionally sent into them to, to, to win them for Christ and to love them. It would be that, that reaction where people would go, mm, I don't think that's what we're called to do. But Jonah got that message. And Jonah, like myself and like many others potentially in this room, did not jump on board with God immediately. There was not just resistance, there was a no. His no came in the form of hiring a crew and going off 2,500 miles away instead of going 500 miles approximately to where God sent him. God, for the first time, we're going to see the second time today, God throws a wind down and it's just chaos and there are sailors who don't know God, don't worship God, who are freaking out. They roll some dice and find out that it's Jonah's responsibility. They're looking for wisdom. You paid us. You hired us. This is your God doing it. What do you say? What do we do? He said, hey, if I was you, I'd throw me over the boat. They're like, that's the worst idea that we've ever heard. If this God is so mad that he's coming to get you, what's he going to do to us when we kill you? But in a moment of clarity, his voice, his calmness, whatever it was, convinces them, and they do. They pick him up, and they toss him. And immediately everything calms down and at that moment you have lost people going wow that's God 
And their immediate reaction is they start to worship. We don't even know that they fully could grasp a full, perfect, holy God. It was their first step. I didn't understand the grace of Jesus fully when I got saved. I don't fully understand it still now. It's insane. But I took a first step. Coming out of that, he's got seaweed that starts wrapping around him. He's choking out. He's taking water into his lungs. And in a moment of grace, of salvation, ironically, salvation, he gets swallowed by a sea creature. Something large enough to take a human body in, into its digestive tract, and inside there, his lungs begin to receive oxygen that they need for him to live. It's crazy. He's, He's in a disgusting, horrible place that is in fact better than where he was. And when we hear that, we go, you know what? In a sense, that, that kind of resonates because I've been in places in my life and been in moments in my life where I haven't been necessarily happy with where I was, but it was far more blessed and safer than I was at a previous time. And then the fish just throws him up right on land. We don't know that Jonah took another boat, so for all we know, it was the shore that would have led him directly into Nineveh. And he goes in. Not happy, but he does go in. God gives him two things we talked about last week before we dug into this idea of repentance. God didn't told him initially to go and preach against sin, but he, then he told him go preach to people. And it was such a sweet reminder to us that when we have to clearly communicate what sin is, We have to always remember we're speaking to a person. And God loves them. He goes in, preaches his message, and the craziest things happen. They actually listened and heard it. And felt sorry. These were stone-cold killers. These were horrible people. And they heard it and said, God, we're sorry. They got really humble really fast. They They weren't just guilty people. Because we have historical proof that, 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 that they love recording their violence. That's who they were. They were the Assyrians. And we have generations of gaps where there's nothing, which I believe shows evidence of change in people's lives. And Jonah didn't get happy. He didn't celebrate it. So we pick up in chapter 4, and we see a guy who had a message fought it, delivered it, saw results, and is now getting ready to go into maybe one of the most severely seasons, severe seasons of pouting that he's ever been in. Chapter 4, Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. This wasn't just sitting behind me at a traffic stop while I'm busy reading a text message. This is, he is, is, Angry as he can be and and doesn't even know what to do with it. It's just that moment where he just wants to scream or yell or or fight or do, do something. And out of that, it says that he prayed to the Lord. Please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? We we read this as, as part of the initial step into Jonah, the evidence that Jonah gives that he's actually he actually knew who God was. And, and that was one of his biggest holdups. He, he says this, Please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? I was at home, God. I wasn't bothering anybody. And then you started this. 
He said, that's why I fled to Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah was at a point where he just didn't even want to continue. You ever been there? Like, you don't want to keep going? Because you're just, like, it is just so deep inside of you that you're so frustrated and so hurt. And, and we don't know. I mean, he may have feared that God relenting, God not punishing, when he said, hey, God's going to punish. In these days, if prophets were perceived to lie, they would be stoned. They'd be killed. When they stoned someone, they wouldn't just throw little pebbles at them. They would, they would put them in a lower pit area. They would, they would roll a huge crushing boulder onto their body that would crush bones and organs. And then they would finish them off by throwing rocks that they could hold in their hand. Like if he lied as a prophet, remember, I said it's not the easiest job in the world. We probably wouldn't sign up for it. We don't know what his ultimate fears all listed out to be, but we do know that as, he's, as he knew who God was, he knew enough to bet on God even when it me meant that people would have to say, I'm sorry and I'm wrong. Most of us don't bet on people to say, I'm sorry and I'm wrong, right? We don't, we don't assume that's what's going to happen. The Lord asked him this question, is it right for you to be angry? That's an interesting comeback from God. Is it right for you to be this upset? Now that's one of those questions. You ever been asked one of those questions that almost just make you more mad? My mom's dad um, used to ask me a question when he would hear that I did something that wasn't exactly the wisest move. He would say, are, are you stupid or do you just not care? I hated that question. Because I didn't want to say I don't care, and I really didn't. But I was not going to say, well, I'm stupid, right? <laughs> so it was somewhere between the options that I live, but I just, I didn't want to, I didn't want to answer it, and I hated the question. And God says, is it right for you to be angry? It says, Jonah left the city. And found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there. That shelter would have been um, kind of like a little lean-to. Um, big enough for him to sit under. Because this is the Near East. I mean, this was not a, uh, a, a pleasing, relaxing climate. Uh, he would have taken some bigger pieces of wood that he could find or branches and, and put a few together, put a strap, piece of cloth around him to hold him in position. And he would kind of weave in or lean up against them, smaller branches that still had some leaves on them. Uh, it wasn't perfect shade, but it would be spotty shade uh, that he would have put together for himself. So he, had, he, he built this shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. I think kind of still holding on to this hope of like, all right, God, what are you going to do? Then the Lord appointed a plant. Remember, there were four things appointed in the book of Jonah this the second three are getting ready to come down now. He appointed a plant, and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. The plant was most likely more like a gourd, so it would have had bigger leaves, right? So the first little lean-to that Jonah built, the sun would have pretty much scorched those leaves because they couldn't draw nutrients anymore. So his shade started to thin out, 
It says God appointed a plant to grow, and it actually gave him really almost complete shade. When it says that God did this to, um, uh, to help him or rescue him in his trouble, trouble there could really be translated maybe even better um, from his evil. In other words, God literally sent a plant, made the plant grow to cool him off. Not temperature-wise, but he really did this as a grace gift to his attitude. He saw Jonah just, I mean, fuming under this. And he sent a plant to just give him some comfort. And notice what it says here. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. For the first time in this entire book, Jonah's happy. He wasn't happy because God chose him to take his message. He wasn't happy that God's grace, when he heard the message, like, oh, God, your grace is so big that it goes after everybody? Like, he didn't take comfort in that. He didn't get happy about that. When he, even when he found a way, he, he believed, surely we know, he believed in, in omnipresence. He believed that God was present everywhere. He wouldn't have been a prophet. He wouldn't have been called by God and have grown like that and not believed in God's presence. So he wasn't literally trying to physically get away from God. He was just trying to get out of God's commandment level. He was trying to get away from the thing that God wanted him to do. He didn't even get happy when he got on a boat heading the other way. When they threw him overboard and he was drowning and he got rescued by a fish, not happy. When he got thrown back up on dry land, in the moment that he realized, my feet are on land again, I'm out of all of this turmoil, not happy. Not happy when he preached his message, not happy when he saw people repent to God, but happy when he got shade. He was more comfortable than he had been in moments before. Physically, he, got a, he felt a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more refreshed. And then it says this, Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant and it withered. As the sun was rising... God appointed a scorching east wind. Now, I want to read a couple things to you about what this east wind would be like. Um, if you study this, um, it's, it's spelled a little bit differently than it sounds. The way you spell it is S-I-R-I-C-C-O. It's pronounced um, Shiriko. But it's a specific type of wind that they find in the Near East. Now, remember, God sent this wind. The second time he sent a wind. I want to read a description of what the, the environment would have felt like with this kind of wind. Remember, he just has lost his shade that made him comfortable and happy for the first time that we've seen in four chapters. When this kind of wind came, the temperature, one, rose dramatically quick. Humidity, it, immediately when the temperature went up, plummeted. As temperature rose and humidity dropped, the wind would pick up Fine particles of dust, so it would just feel like you were just getting almost stung as it would blow through, because many times this kind of wind in the Near East will reach almost what we would call tornado speed wind. So as this wind is coming through and he's feeling all this, it's not just a high temperature, low humidity, and dust. The hot air is so full of positive ions that it affects the levels of serotonin and other neurotransmitters in the brain causing immediate, most times, depression, exhaustion, and hallucination. 
most often leading towards just bizarre behavior, like people just literally losing their mind in this kind of temperature change. So now this is where Jonah's at. This is what he's feeling come across his body as he's sitting there, no shade, waiting on what he wanted, but not receiving it. And this is what came out. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted. And he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. I mean, the second time, he's like, God, I'd rather just check out than be a part of what's happening right now. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? He, he made this very specific. Is it right for you to be angry about that plant? Many times in life, when we look at one big situation, it almost seems too big to do something with. It's a very practical step when we're trying to figure out, God, what are you doing to look at specific things and have God speak into those and then build those out as God shows us the bigger picture. Many times we say, how am I going to ever get out of this life crisis? Many times it helps to see individual relationships that are in it and what God's doing in those and in small ways that he's providing for us to get encouragement as we, as we make it through. This is Jonah's response. He gets pretty bold right here. God says, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Jonah says, yes, it's right. It's a brave man. He replied, I'm angry enough to die. So the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over, and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. But may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals. Um, most people, when they, when they read that passage, when it says 120 people that can't really decipher the difference between their right and their left, some people feel like that that um, is talking about young children that are just not old enough to be able to take care of themselves. They don't know their right from their left yet. They haven't been taught those kind of lessons in life. And, and if that's true, then what God is arguing with Jonah is, is Jonah, you are so consumed and so frustrated with something that you really never had control over, yet I'm God looking at a city, which if you multiply that factor out, will probably mean a population of about 600,000. God says, do I not have the right to care about 600,000 people that while awful, I want to love? Now, if it doesn't mean that, if it just simply means that there are 120,000 people that are just ignorant spiritually, if that's what that statement represents, then God is not saying 600,000, he's saying 120,000, which really, ultimately, if we dig down into it, does it really matter? It's God-loving people who don't deserve it, of which we fall into the same category. So did Jonah. There's three things that I want to talk about as we wrap this chapter up. The first thing is this. Why Jonah was mad said much about God. Jonah being angry did not mean that he didn't understand who God was. And many times that's true for us. I want you to think through this with me. Imagine yourself in maybe one of these situations that we prayed over before the sermon started 
or over some type of life crisis. God, I know you can heal. Why aren't you healing now? That doesn't mean that we don't believe in God and we don't know God to be healer. We're frustrated that there seems to be a gap between who we know God to be and what our life is experiencing. God, I know that you, like you created marriage, like you created husband and wife. Then why is my relationship like this? Like why is mine so broken? Why did this happen in ours? If you wanted good marriages, God, then why am I having to live through what I'm living through? It doesn't deny that what God has created in marriage is good, but there seems to be a major gap between what we believe he created and what we're experiencing. Many times, like for Jonah, what we're so angry about does say much about God. It begins to highlight in our own minds who we believe God to be. Now here's the danger of that. If we don't take time to dig deeply into who God is, who we are in Jesus and our salvation, then we run the risk of doing what I've done, which is living on incorrect promises. There's danger in just taking partial verses and just taking a text verse that somebody sends you and just stopping there and saying, okay, that's all the truth that, that lies within that passage. It does need to be a growing faith and a growing understanding of Jesus so that we don't create, like I have in, in my mind, well, surely God wants this or has said this, so that's what I'm hoping for. And, and I'm, I was burning energy hoping for something that I was actually wrong about because I created it up here. Being frustrated, being hurt, uh, not understanding God, not seeing how it's all going to work out, wanting to know why, that's not the danger point. You know why that's not the danger point? Because in that wrestle still means that we're engaged with God. God is still in pursuit of us. Jonah at his maddest and most frustrated in this story, we still see at the very end the existence of a conversation between him and God. It does not stop. What we see is, is a misunderstanding. Jonah's not connecting the dots. He's mad because he knows God to be who he says God to be. Does that solve everything for him? No, it doesn't. And I'll be quite frank with you. When you believe that Jesus created the church, but then the church hurts you, there's a gap in your experience. And very likely you're going to be frustrated and you're going to be mad because what you know and believe is true but what you have experienced is not the right image of it. And our emotions pull us and our emotions tear us away. So how do we, how do we wrestle with this one? How do we live through this one? For me, if what I believe about God is true, but what I've experienced is different, then I try to step, try my best to step out of just being consumed with what I've experienced and step back more into really the truth of who God is, and studying His design and His pleasure and His purpose and His goal. So I see the real image, because God is ultimately working towards the real thing. But I also see the real battles that are going on and get a better glimpse of Him. Interestingly enough, also, not just 
why Jonah was mad speaks much about God. Why Jonah was happy said much about Jonah. I mean, you think about it. You consider all that Jonah had seen and experienced. The guy runs away from God's request to go somewhere. Like, if, think about it. If, if you were really in a major situation and you needed somebody to go communicate to somebody about something, like you said, look, I need you to go tell this person this. It, it is ex, it just extremely important. Just go tell them what I need you to go tell them. And they just basically were like, nope, sorry, checked out. I'm gone. You and I would be the same. You would be done. You're like, fine, go. Like, I don't even care if I see you again. But God kept pursuing Jonah. Then Jonah about to drown like he has a major suicide complex throw me over the boat i'm mad enough to die challenging god yes god there i do have the right like this guy's asking for it but not being rescued from drowning by getting swallowed by a fish only then to be vomited up by the fish and actually making it back to dry land yeah because that's ordinary that just happens to people and, and you know what, I didn't mention this last week, but you know what, one of the most insane, and this is, like, when Jonah ignored this one, this is the one I think maybe that baffles me the most. It's not clearly just right here in the text. I, I mentioned to you that the Ninevites were polytheistic. That means they, they worshipped a lot of different gods. And all polytheistic cultures are the same. They have all, they have all these different statues of gods everywhere. And, and, the, and the big statues are the big gods that they worship. One of the most central gods that they worshipped in Assyrian culture was a god named Dagon. And this god would have been a statue present in the city of Nineveh. Dagon, ironically, is a god that is half man and half fish. You see the irony? The man that is coming from God with a message from God shows up on shore as a man that has come out of a fish. Like, if you're Nineveh, of course you're listening. And if you're somebody that has run from God, you, you process, hang on a second, God, I disobeyed you, I said no to you. These are people that have been saying no to you forever. You love all of us enough to capture their attention by saving my life with a fish and then throwing me up out of it so I almost look like Dagon as I walk into their culture saying, hey, Dagon is not speaking right now. Elohim is speaking. He's the one and true God. So if you're listening to Dagon, Dagon's telling you to listen to God. And they repent. They turn. They do a U-turn from where their life was headed and head straight to God. And at this moment, still the only thing that makes him happy, only thing that makes him happy is shade. Shade. He got more comfortable. And see, that's one of those indicators in life where it's, it's, it's a little red flag theology. When, when we know that in our souls we are called by God to know Him and love Him and be loved by Him and, and to follow Jesus and, and to live like Jesus, and we find that that's not where we get joy, but we get joy from other things we're pursuing, that says a lot about us. It says a lot about where our heart is. It says a lot about what God is probably speaking to us about. And I'd be willing to bet, because I've had conversations with people already about this series, I'd be willing to bet that if you really study the book of Jonah, now with us or on your own, and you see all this stuff, and you see that Dagon is the statue 
that Jonah's walking towards as he just came out of a fish. And you see all the stuff going on. You're, you're seeing all these things happening. And you're going, okay, God, I don't, maybe I don't know what you're saying yet, but you're clearly saying something. And some of us are just so frustrated that we're, we're missing the fact that, that in our frustration, our conversations with God, in his repetitive conversation, his pursuit of us is clear and obvious, and it's his grace and it's his love. You or I are going to sit in church and think, well, yeah, I just haven't been as close as I should be. But we never really wake up to the fact that we're hearing his word and we're thinking that, that closer is what I could be. And I'm, I'm believing that God is a God that wants me close, but just I, I'm, I'm struggling and I'm stumbling over my gap of experience. The last thing I want to connect with you on is this one word, sufficiency. Yesterday, as I was part of this ordination committee, um, the guy that was being ordained, one of the pastors in the room, was talking to him and questioning him about God's word, the inerrancy of it, the inspiration of it, and all this stuff. So about halfway through his comments, um, or halfway through the time on that subject, he stops and he says, speak to us about what does it mean for God's word to be sufficient. And the pastor that was getting ordained stopped, thought for a second, and just said, well... Simply, that God's word is enough. God's word is enough. And I want to tell you, there, there, will, there will probably rarely be points in life to where you will receive all the answers that you want. Because within God's own word, he tells us really clearly that he's got some ways and thoughts that are just higher than ours, which means there's an information gap and an experience gap. I don't like that. Can't stand it. I want to know what everybody else in the room knows. I want to know it all. I want to, I want to be ready. I want to make the right decision. I want people to think that I'm responsible and I've made the right decision because I've known all that I could know. But that's not how I've experienced life to always work out. And the gospel calls it lordship. You can call it sufficiency. For Adam and Eve, it was one no and a million yeses. They had to make a decision. God, you said no to one thing. I don't understand it because I'm not you. I didn't make all this. I didn't make myself. In my heart of hearts, do I just believe that your word is sufficient, that if you said no, then no is best. For Jonah, it was the word go. It wasn't no, it was go. When God said go, he didn't know the people. He didn't like the people. He didn't see the people as acceptable. But was it just simply enough and sufficient for God to say, my grace wants them, my love pursues them, so go take it to them? He, he, he didn't jump in on it. We could go through the Bible and find a million different things on relationships, sexuality, honesty, patience, uh, so many things. When we don't understand totally the situation, is God's word sufficient? I told you, it, it didn't end with a great summary statement. It actually ends with some questions. And if your life has been like mine many days, my, I have more questions sometimes than it seems like I have answers. But it's those questions many times that bring clarity. Right now, if God said, stop whatever, is his word sufficient? If he says, go, wherever, is his word sufficient? 
It's not the easiest question in the world. I'm not preaching this morning to say, hey, this is what you've got to get on board with. I'm just saying this is what we'll all, in many ways, struggle with. It's why I believe the gospel, salvation, doesn't just let us just believe in Jesus. We have to have him and know him as Lord. It doesn't mean that he's Lord of every part of my life when I got saved, because when I got saved, that was my first step. I knew him and I believed him to be in control and, and most wise and most loving and to know best, but I hadn't yet had a chance to have that dive into every area of my life. But for whatever area he opens up to me next, is it good enough? Or do I feel like I have a right to resist and be angry? It's the story of Jonah. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your love and your grace. God, we are blessed to know you and be loved by you. So God, as we've been in the study of Jonah, and we've heard your word this morning, God, help us, sincerely help us, God, to know who you are. Uh, Lord, thank you that through this story, uh, we can see a lot of our own emotions. We can see a lot of our own feelings, a lot of our own fears and frustrations. But God, for us to believe in sufficiency, you do so much towards us. You, you, you pursue us with your love and your grace, and, and you build into your word so many proofs. And, and, and even within the prophets, you, you sent generation after generation to say specific things that made it statistically impossible for someone to be able to present themselves as the Messiah and actually do what you said he would do until your son, your very own son, showed up and fulfilled every prophecy, making it impossible for him to be anyone else but the very son of God. And then he died for our sins. God, in believing that and confessing Jesus is Lord, God, praying to you to be saved, you allow us to enter into your love and your relationship that you give us. And God, through the story of Jonah, we see the gospel clearly. It was against all odds that anybody would pursue with love and grace a bunch of killers. And God, you even allowed their religion, their pursuit of religion and pride to create the idea of a deity that was half man and half fish. And, and you were willing to use an impatient and, and, a, and, a, and a servant with poor attitudes. And then through that, you said, this is how you'll listen to me. I'll use a servant of mine, a prophet, with a horrible attitude and a fish to create an image that you'll listen to to know that that God is silent. He has no voice. He's not real. That Elohim, Yahweh, is the God that is pursuing you. God, it's, it's, it's just hard even to wrap our brains around. But God, it is simple to understand that you just love us. Because God, I know what love means. I feel love for my wife and my kids and my family and my church family. So God, really all that I need to understand with your love is that you love even more than all those. Because no matter what I've done, you pursue me. So God, thank you for pursuing all those that are in this room that love you, but if we're all honest, we didn't walk in this morning with every question answered. In fact, some of us 
maybe didn't even quite come in the door without setting aside that last reservation that was just keeping us away. So Lord, help us. Help us to hear your word, to see the hope in it, the insane love that you give us. But help us to embrace the questions of life. Help us to be bold enough to answer them for ourselves. We believe that Jonah's story continued after this, that you weren't ready or you didn't want to allow his life to end. That when he says, yes, I have the right, God, you kept talking. So this morning, God, if we don't know how to ask you for what we really need, then Lord, let us just ask, God, keep talking. Keep speaking to us. God, continue to use your words to communicate what it is that you want. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.